0: This club is built for you. This is FC Pinscau-Salfelden and this is the FCPS show. On this episode we'll be looking back on the friendlies that the side have already played so far and looking forward to the massive tie against Marseille. And welcome to your brand new FCPS show, ready for the restart and ready for the new season. I'm your host, Tom Midler, and alongside me are co-hosts Lee Wingate and Simon Clark, who joins us on Skype to complete the trio for today's show. We do have a special guest on the phone coming up later as well, so you're in for a treat as we look ahead to an absolutely amazing fixture for FC Pinskow Salfelden Now, those of you with a keen ear the ones who have been keeping up to date with their Austrian football over the last few seasons. You might know us already as the team behind the other Bundesliga. That's our project focusing on Austria's top league, aka the Bundesliga, in English. So if you do recognise us from there, well, it's really great to have you with us over here as well on the FCPS show. And if you don't recognise us from there, well, that's just fine. We're really happy to be expanding our horizons to include the Salzburg Regional League and more specifically, of course, FC Pinscout, Sal Felden. Let's get on to a couple of quick introductions. Let's tell you a little bit about ourselves. I'm going to introduce Simon instead of myself. Simon over on Skype. Well, he's our social media savant, self-styled social media savant.
1: Guru, the Guru the
0: guru of social media. He's responsible for our uh, crazy ideas and our competitions that you might recognize from the other Bundesliga page on Twitter. So uh, we're looking forward to bringing that kind of content over to Pinsgau Salfeldon as well. And Simon is going to be primarily responsible for that. Great to have you with us for today's show, Simon.
2: Cheers. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm touched by that beautiful intro, Tom. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to be introducing Lee. Lee is uh, our translator. He will write all of our dual content stuff. He's been working for German Bundesliga clubs over the last few years, and he has a background in languages. He's interpreted at the Champions League final. Lee is fluent in German, French, and I think he can speak words in like 10 different other languages as as well. So yeah, he's a talented guy, and uh, he loves his history as well, as you'll see a little bit later in
0: this podcast. Yeah, perfect fit for Lee on today's pod. Polyglot Wingate, as
1: we like to call him. That's literally the first time you've ever called me that, but I'll take it. I guess it's my turn to introduce you now, I guess. Tom is our other Bundesliga presenter. He is our creative guy as well, and he's the new voice of FCPS. He's the new club commentator. Those of you who tuned in for the the stream this week of the, the TSU Brandberg friendly may have heard Tom doing a fine job behind the mic He's also previously worked on the World Feed, commentating on the German and Austrian Bundesliga and some international games as well. I think, have I missed uh, any highlights of your stellar career so far there?
0: No, that sounds great. No, I can't wait to get back in the commentary box with uh, FC Pinskow as well. So yeah, that's a little bit just to, to help you get to know us. Should we tell the, the listeners about which clubs we support in, in the UK? We're all from England, so yeah, maybe we should start with that. Simon, you're a diehard fan, aren't you? Of
2: Everton, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm also a supporter of my local team, Gloucester City, as well. So, so I have two heart,
1: two uh, big loves in English football.
0: Yeah, former press officer at Gloucester City as well. Impressive stuff.
1: Um, but yeah, a, a long-suffering toffee, Lee. What about you? Well, it's always been Manchester United for me in the in the UK, but I feel that my heart's slowly been won over by European football a bit more. So I I do keep a closer eye on Borussia Dortmund these days. Yeah,
0: and for me, Coventry City. So. We finally won a league title this year to bring to an end many, many years of hurt. Well, I thought I'd, I'd sort of get on top of that before we get all the questions about who we support in England and let you know that before we start. But of course, we are now fan owners as well in FC pinsgau Salfelden, So we cannot wait to get started on this journey with them. I'm sure many of you listening out there are probably fan owners as well. And we're really, really looking forward to going on this ride with the club. And we do hope that uh, one day we'll eventually be able to talk about FC Pinsgau As members of the top flight here in Austria, when we cover the other Bundesliga podcast, that would be great to have Pinskow involved with that too. That is, of course, a big part of the long-term dream for the club, but that all has to start somewhere. So let's have a look at how FCPS have started their preparations for the 2020-2021 season with their two friendlies against lower league opposition before we look ahead to the huge game that's coming up this weekend.
1: We've, we've been busy in the transfer market um, so far. We have signed four new players. That's uh, Daniel Reichel, who's come in from Salzburger AK, who were the big rivals until this, this last season was abandoned. Lukas Schubert as well, who's played in, in Ireland and in the US and for Grodig as well. Uh, Jonas Schweighofer and Michael Wiehauser make up the four names. So some new additions to the squad. It'll be great. We've seen some of those in action already in the two friendlies. Uh, Namely Lucas Schubert, who scored a, a great goal already. But yeah, some new additions to Christian Ziegler's squad.
0: Yeah, so the first game, of course, was against Mulbach the other day. A comfortable five-nil win. Plenty of good
1: goals in that, and it all started off very quickly, didn't it? Not just some goals, but some some really lovely goals. The first one, in, as you say, very early on in the first minute, and a misplaced back pass, basically, from the left back of uh, SC Mulbach, who play in the Erster Landesliga, which is the fifth tier here in Austria. Uh, the goalkeeper was a little bit overwhelmed, I think, by the back pass, and Tandari managed to capitalise in style. Lovely lovely chip over the goalkeeper there to to open the scoring. New signing Schubert made it 2-0 on the half-hour mark, uh, lashing home Cooksley's cross into the top corner. Another lovely goal. In fact, all of these goals were just absolutely brilliant. Um, Alfuseni Jatta, with a long-range effort following a... A corner kick on the stroke of half time that was really good because usually usually when you see players have a go from that far outside you're just expecting the ball to rise and rise but it really stayed low all the way it was a really nice goal that one and then two in the second half as well Lucas Moosman uh, with a chip over the goalkeeper and then a very similar goal from from Dominic Kirchner to finish off and uh, complete the scoring for that so yeah it was a resounding win really.
0: Yeah, a great start. Really nice way to begin the preparations for the new season. If you want to see the highlights of those goals, check out our Facebook page as well uh, with FC Pinskau. There's a video on there covering all five of those goals. From that comfortable first win against Mulbach. that was all as it was expected to be against fifth-tier opposition. Pinskow, of course, playing in the third league over here in Austria. And uh, the second friendly against TSU Bramberg, that was also against lower league opposition.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, One tier higher, though. This was against a fourth tier TSU Bramberg. And honestly, you rarely watch a game that is that one-sided that doesn't have a winner. Um, It ended up finishing 1-1, but I don't think any of us could quite believe how we didn't win that one.
0: It took 72 minutes to open the scoring, and uh, for the most part, it was a 72-minute siege on the Bramberg goal until eventually... Harry Cooksley it was, one of the eight second-half substitutes who managed to unlock the door of the Bramberg defence with a really nice pass through into the box. That was then uh, knocked around the keeper by Grozja and uh, tapped into the net by that man again, Tamas Tandari. The captain, almost 300 appearances for FC Pinsgall, salfelden And it looked like he would have given us the win yesterday against Bramberg. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as soon as they went behind... Brandberg managed to launch one ball forward. It was really wet, slippery, difficult conditions. That ball skidded off the turf, rather caught out some of the defence who uh, hadn't had that much defending to do up until that point. Fair play, though, to the number nine of Brandberg, Fabian Bachler, because he managed to score into an empty net from the edge of the area, but with that ball slipping and sliding around. That probably wasn't quite as easy as it looked. In the end, though, it felt a bit harsh, Christian Seeger had some words afterwards about it being a good learning curve for the game because, I mean, it's a good test when you've got to play with 11 men behind the ball the whole time and, and just the onus is completely on Pinscow to try and break through that and break that down. It's uh, it's disheartening at times. It seems difficult, but um, a good test and good practice ahead of uh, of the upcoming games too.
1: Yeah, Bramberg came with a tactic, didn't they? And that was to, to be as compact as they could sort of down the middle, perhaps try and force pins go out wide a little bit. But um, they didn't really come with too many attacking aspirations of their own. It was very much a case of let's put as many men behind the ball as we can and and see what we can get out of it. And I think that was evident from the fact that they were happy to sit back until the opening goal went in. And then we started to see them venture forward a little bit. And and of course, that's how the equaliser arose. In the league season, they're going to be a team who are
2: who are good, going to be favourites in mostly every game they're playing in. This is a team that finished second last season, so tr- trying to break down these tough defenses and these tough t- two lines of four, you know, I think is going to be a, it was a good test for them. Uh, looking forward to the season for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely, plenty to be learned from a game like that. And as I mentioned, eight second-half substitutes as well, so also just a, a good chance for some of the new signings to stretch their legs and and get a feel for what it's like to uh, to gel with some of their teammates. I thought that um, Raichel looked very good, the new signing from Esaka, uh, as, as Lee mentioned, the big league rivals last season. So uh, that could be a really important move having Raichel come across from the team who were first in Pinskau's league last season. And uh, he was uh, he was very good, made a big impact. Who else? You liked uh, Semi Vosja, didn't you, Lee?
1: Yeah, I thought he looked very lively and dangerous when he came on, had a few moments and then of course was ultimately uh, responsible for the assist for, for the goal as well. So I was very impressed by him. I think he looks like a very tricky player and could perhaps be one for Christian Zieger to count on in the, in the season to come. What about you, Si? Did any players particularly stand out to you last night? I think Jatta looked really, really good. Uh, he's
2: a player just just coming to the team, and and he looked very assured, really good in the midfield and playing the ball around with ease. I think he's going to be a, a real standout for Pinsgow going forward in the season for sure.
1: Yeah, I agree. One of the uh, one of our Twitter followers said yesterday. That's Ryan Football King underscore Ten was saying that he reminded that Jatta reminded him of Arsenal midfielders Diaby and Vieira. So high praise indeed. You can see why he's he's a very Tough combative midfielder, big physical presence, but hasn't got bad technique either. That strike. I mean, in the in the game against Mulbach that we were talking about earlier, he's clearly got, got the whole package.
0: Yeah, some really good footwork on display in really tough, uh, greasy conditions yesterday as well. So a good start. I like Lucas Schubert when he came on, but brings a bit of experience to this side. One of the very few players at Pinstail over thirty years of age. It's a, it's a very young average age in the Pinskow squad. So Lucas Schubert, with years of professional experience at the top level in Ireland, he's played in the Bundesliga here as well, and a lot of games in the second division in Austria. So he knows what it's like to move up the leagues here and uh, play at the higher level in Austria. But I think we've put it off long enough after these two friendlies. The next friendly is obviously the big one. That's what we're here to talk about today. The next opponents for FC South Salfelden are former European champions,
1: Marseille. What a prospect that game is this weekend. You know, when you look at the, the badges in UEFA competitions, so certain badges sort of stand out to you. And when these fixtures are announced, we had all the badges of all the opponents for the friendlies. And I saw the Marseille one and I was like, Wow. <laughs> Olympique Marseille, it's going to be an absolute cracker. I know we're going to talk to Jeremy Smith, the French football journalist, uh, soon about Marseille's current season, but such a storied club with, with great history as well. I cannot wait for this game and it's going to be you know, a real tough test as well. This will be the biggest test by some distance in pre-season.
2: It's fair to say, even though Paris Saint-Germain have had played- so much success recently. I think Olympic de Marseille are probably the the biggest club in France. They have an amazing stadium, the Vélodrome, one of the most iconic arenas in in European football. And for Pinstail to be playing such an incredible opponent in pre-season is, yeah, really an amazing thing.
1: You've been to about half of Europe's football stadiums, haven't you, so Have you been to the Vélodrome yet?
2: Yeah, I went to the Vélodrome during Euro 2016. Uh, I saw a, a game between Iceland and and Hungary. So I've never seen Marseille play live, but uh, the, the velodrome was an incredible atmosphere on that afternoon with, I think, 40,000 Hungarian fans filling the stadium. But the, the, the end that we were in was in the Iceland end with about uh, 10,000 Vikings. <laughs> it was a great atmosphere, and the, but the stadium is just uh, an incredible, incredible place.
1: And so is the team as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that with with Jeremy later. Shall we get stuck into a bit of bit of history about Marseille?
0: Yeah, that's right, Lee. Why don't you give us a look back throughout the history of, uh, of Olympique de Marseille?
1: Well, there is quite a lot of history. So it all begins back in, in 1899 when the club was founded. And actually, at that time, rugby was the predominant sport. And it wasn't until a little bit later that, that football became the main sport within, within the club. They had to wait a quarter of a century for their first trophy. That was the Coupe de France, which is the French Cup in 1924 that was actually a really big development at the time because Parisian clubs were really dominating the the French football landscape at that time so for a club from the provinces to come in and win one of the country's biggest trophies was a was a real big big development they won their first title then the first French title in 1928 to 29 but there's still quite a lot of debate in French football now uh, because it was very much amateur at that time so people don't really regard it as a professional title more french cups before the the second world war and then in 1937 became professional champions of france for the for the first time although interestingly that title was won on on goal difference they uh, had 13 more goals than their their closest rivals so that season and then we come to the the war period uh, a period of relative obscurity for olympique marseille after that and then it gets starts to get interesting around 1965. They had a guy by the name of Marcel Leclerc become the president, and he guided the club back to the top flight. They'd gone down for the first time in 1959. So, this was a, a real era of, of success for Marseille. They won the, the Coupe de France, the French Cup again in 69, the first division in 71, a League and Cup double in 72. And just when it appeared to all be going well, Leclerc left the club. Quite an interesting dispute because at that time in France, you were only allowed two foreign players, a bit like back in the the Premier League in the 1990s where you were only allowed, I think, three foreign players and lots of clubs were sort of clamouring to have that expanded. Well, at this time, you were only allowed two and Leclerc really wanted to sign a third. That led to a, a dispute with the French League, And in the end, Marseille decided to side with the league rather than their own man, and uh, they fired him. Uh, Another period of of relative obscurity followed, but the team then returned to the top flight of French football in 1984, which is a landmark year for for France because, Si, why is 1984 a landmark year for France?
2: Because France won Euro 84 with Michel Platini becoming the, the, the best player in the world.
1: Yeah, it was a a very impressive team, that. And some of the the players that were were pivotal figures in that 1984 French winning team were also pivotal figures for Marseille when they were bought by French businessman Bernard Tapie in 1986. And this is probably the most infamous period in, in Marseille's history. So Tapie bought some absolutely incredible players Klaus Allos, Didier Deschamps, who went on to win the World Cup for France as a player and a manager, Basil Bolli, the centre-back, who, who we'll talk about in a little while, Marcel Desailly, Rudi Voller, Eric Cantona as well, before he went to, to England. They even had Franz Beckenbauer managing them at one point, and all that led to Marseille winning four consecutive French titles between 1989 and 1992, a, a cup in there for good measure as well. Um, but they had a lot of success in European competition as well. They reached the final of the old European Cup in 1991. They lost on penalties to Red Star Belgrade, and I think that really gave their their rich owner Bernard Tappy a taste for success, and he really wanted them to make the uh, the Champions League, as it was then known. It was revamped in 1992 to 93 was previously the European Cup and then became the Champions League. And that was for him the the biggest uh the biggest aim for, for, for his for his project. So Sire, what happened in nineteen ninety three, the first Champions League season?
2: Well Olympic Marseille uh, won against AC Milan in the final to become the first French club to
1: ever lift the European Cup. Yeah, and it wasn't a bad A C Milan side either, was it?
2: This was peak AC Milan, so for Marseille to beat them was just a real, uh, a real statement of intent, particularly because the year after, Milan maybe were the best European champions of all time. So for, for, for them to beat them, yeah, really an incredible achievement.
1: Absolutely. But it was in this season that the story really got very interesting, because in the same season that Marseille reached the Champions League final uh, against AC Milan in 1993... They also were in a, a very close title race until the last day of the season when they were playing against Valenciennes, uh, not to be confused with Spanish side Valencia, Valenciennes. Um, and they needed a win on the final day of the season. But Tappi did not want to be distracted. He did not want his team to be distracted. And they, he wanted their full attention to be on the Champions League final. So approaches were made to three Valenciennes players to literally translated lift the foot in that final game of the season and to allow Marseille to get a relatively comfortable win which they did Valenciennes looked really really lacklustre on that final day of the season and it became uh it became it went public a few weeks later there was a, a match fixing scandal accusations were made and ultimately Marseille ended up having that title, that league title that they'd won that year, um, overturned. They were stripped of the title. They were stripped of their right to defend their UEFA Champions League title the following season. Um, interestingly, they weren't stripped of the Champions League title itself because that was deemed to be in another competition, so that didn't really count. But yeah, they uh, they really suffered as a result of that. Tapi was even sentenced to a couple of years in prison. Marseille were relegated. And it wasn't until Adidas bought the club in 1996 that their fortune started to to revive a little bit, and they came back to the top flight. They haven't really equaled those glory years ever since. There was a solitary league title in in 2010, but uh, yeah, it's very been a lot of up and downs in Marseille's history. Plenty of stuff to to read online about that incredible Champions League winning season as well. So. Yeah, very, very interesting history.
0: Yeah, really comprehensive history there. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, I think our listeners now on the FCPS show will be as well informed about Marseille as anyone. Uh, Simon, anything to add on, on Marseille? What do they mean to you? What what memories do you have of Marseille?
2: When they won the Champions League, I was only two years old, so I don't even really re- remember that period. But I remember the early 2000s uh, when they reached the UEFA Cup final and the Idrissa Drogba led the way for them that season. Uh, that was his last season before going to Chelsea and becoming uh, one of the one of the greatest strikers in Premier League history. So I remember that quite clearly that season. And also, yeah, recently um, Marseille reached the Europa League final and they they lost Atletico Madrid. So this is a team, yeah, that was in 2018. So this is a team with very recent success in Europe. And yeah, I think this Marseille are one of the true evocative names of. European football and um, Marseille being at the top of French football is is a, a good thing for for Europe, I think.
0: Yeah, I think the the UEFA Cup and the Europa League and, and Drogba that kind of era as well is the the Marseille that I really remember. But of course, they uh, they beat Pinscow's local rivals or, or local neighbours, at least we should call them Red Bull Salzburg in the Europa League semi final just a few years ago. So they've been uh, they've been in the neighbourhood before. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting history and a really exciting club to be playing against. Absolutely brilliant to have this tie. Let's look ahead to more recent Marseille memories. And, uh, obviously, the French season was concluded early with the, the coronavirus break. That's obviously a controversial decision. But we had a word with French football writer Jeremy Smith, who's had some brilliant input and brilliant insight into how Marseille have got on this season under their new coach Andre Villas-Boas,
3: Marseille had a really, really strong 2019-20 season. They, um, I don't think anyone was expecting too much from them at the start of the year. Um, Villas-Boas came in as coach, and obviously, he's, you know, he's got. For the most part, a good a good pedigree as coach, so I think people were relatively excited about that. But he also made very clear, and I think after an early defeat, sort of in in quite a moody way in in post match press conference, pretty much said, look, I've got nothing to work with, I don't have money to bring anyone in, um, you know, don't don't expect anything too special. But they they ultimately finished the season in second place they were working with a pretty small squad so there were some that thought they might kind of run out of steam at the end of the season so maybe the season ended at a good point for them but that they, they were sort of fully deserving of, of you know the Champions League place that they've got for next year because they definitely kind of you know were were I guess more than the sum of their parts and Villas-Boas was was it's probably fair to say that he's the real star of the show and, and what he got out of his team with the limited resources was fantastic and obviously they finished well behind um, PSG but to to finish ahead of the likes of Lille and Lyon, Monaco, they each had their problems during this season but all you can ask is, is to kind of beat what's in front of you and, and Marseille did fantastically to finish second.
0: So it's a new project for Andre Vies boas As you mentioned, he's a manager with pedigree. A lot of people know him around uh, in European football, especially. What kind of playing style did we see under VS boas this season or last season at Marseille?
3: I think they're they're not kind of free scoring or anything like that. So I think it was it was based on a on a strong defence, a uh, very high press. You look at the the goals for and goals against last year, I mean, 41 goals for, it's not a a particularly impressive stat for a team that that finished second in the table. But um, again, they were just working with what they had. Um, No sort of out and out, prolific goal scorers, more sort of working with um, a couple of players who probably are more sort of deeper-lying strikers than out-and-out centre-forward. So the fact that he managed to get a decent number of goals um, from, I'd say, more from attacking midfielders and, and second strikers and working without, you know, obviously in the past they had Balotelli, they didn't have anyone out-and-out out leading the line like that anymore. So he did well to to use the resources he had and then just really work with a strong defence. He had players like the goalkeeper Mondonda, who was had a poor previous season but was right back to top form last year. Um, Alvaro Gonzalez who came into the centre of defence and did a great job working with a youngster like Boubacar Camara, who's probably one of the one of the most in-demand French players this transfer window so he just managed to work with what he had which was a kind of balance of of young talent, um, slightly older heads and and just managing to eke the best out of all of them. Um, I mentioned Mondando, you've got, also got like Dimitri Payet, who really does blow hot and cold, but for most of last season was was very hot. So I think he just, he managed to really form a, a strong collective unit, which sometimes in Marseille is, is a bit of a knife edge, like as long as you're doing well and you've got all the fans behind you, um, it's quite easy to do that, especially when you can sort of, you know, use the big bad PSG up the road as a Kind of motivation to say everyone's against us. When when results go badly and the fans go against you, then then it's quite difficult to win them back. But um, Villas Boas won them over very early, and they managed to to keep that momentum going for the whole season.
0: So it sounds like there's been a bit of a feel good factor coming back to Marseille this season. You uh, mentioned a few of the players there, especially names like Dimitri Payet and uh, Mondanda. People know these players. We're really excited to see them come over to Austria. I'm not sure that they'll all play in this friendly match, but uh, we're excited to see whoever we do get to see. But for Marseille finishing in second in the table uh, when the when the league was broken off, where did that leave them? You know, the the Corona break, and now they're looking forward to you know going straight back into the Champions League. Presumably, they've uh, they've made a few signings or there's been rumours, at least, of, of players coming in and, and some outgoing players as well in the build up to next season.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the main stories of the sort of extended summer or pre-season or post-season, however you want to call it, is that at one point it really looked like Vilas boas was about to walk. He basically didn't get the... Sort of assurances that he'd be able to strengthen the team during the summer so that they could really you know have a reasonable Champions League campaign and also sort of run that campaign alongside another league campaign so he it looked like he was about to leave he basically said that his future was tied to um, Zubi Zareta who was the the sporting director who brought him in so when Zubi left everyone thought Villas-Barras would follow eventually he stayed. I think he was persuaded to probably by the the sort of affinity he has with the players rather than anyone above him. And he has said, you know, this will be my last year. It's the last year of the contract. I don't want to extend it. Although I think that's more kind of Vilas Boas's sort of wanderlust that he's had all his career rather than necessarily anything to do with Marseille. But the fact remains that they still don't have any money to play with. Um, and so they they really are going to be reliant on selling players in order to bring anyone in. They've made a couple of kind of, well, d- decent signings in that they've made um, Gonzalez, the defender, a defender, a permanent signing. And they've also bought, brought in um, Pap Gay, who's a, a free agent after his contract with Le Havre um, came to an end. And But that one even isn't entirely clear cut because... He's in some kind of dispute with Watford because he actually signed a pre-contract with them in January. So I think Marseille are probably going to mostly be, I don't want to say feeding off scraps, but until they sell players and have more money to play with, they're going to have to be looking for sort of very clever deals. Um, players that, that are, are going for free or really um, prob- undervalued Um in order to, to strengthen their squads and so that work, that could well be a problem next year. It's quite a common problem in France that that um, teams that qualify for Europe struggle the next year to, to kind of run two or three campaigns at the same time and if they don't strengthen um, and depending on who stays and who leaves it, it could be a problem for them.
0: So it sounds like it's been a case in the off-season more of solidifying the foundations that were put in place this season rather than bringing in any big names or, or certainly splashing the cash uh, with, with that not being an option. For Austrian fans uh, who are keen to experience this Marseille side a bit, who would you say, if you had to name one player to to keep an eye out for in this friendly game, who would you pick from the Marseille side?
3: Arguably the the sort of most intriguing player for this season is Florio to- Tova. Some people are a little bit sceptical about him and I have to admit I'm one of them. But he is... Well, he was Marseilles star player, sort of the season before last, really high number of assists and goals, um, obviously a member of France's World Cup winning squad as well. But he effectively missed the whole of last season through injury, um, which possibly scuppered a chance of a, of a big money move somewhere else in Europe. In theory they could get a decent amount of money for him. But having missed that seat this last season. Um, you know this this is a chance for him if he can maintain fitness to, to break his way back into the into the France squad um, to kind of re-establish himself as a big name in Marseille to, to play Champions League. So I think all eyes will be on him just to see if he can how quickly he can get back to the form that he showed um, before his injury. Um, apart from that, as I said, Payet, you never know what you're going to get so he but if he's on form, He's a, a fantastic player to watch. In terms of youngsters, I mentioned him as well, but I guess Kamara is the is the one to look at. He's the one that probably would fetch more money than anyone else if Marseille were to sell him. But he has repeatedly said he wants to stay at Marseille. So it's not clear if he's going to be there or not come the start of the new season. And then Pap Gay, just because he's the newcomer and, and by all accounts is a you know really strong midfielder who... who could be destined for for very big things in the future. So it will be good to see him and see how quickly he settled into his new surroundings and his new teammates.
0: Yeah, really nice to get your take on some of those big names that we can look out for here in the game this weekend. Um, for Marseille, with the break being so long here, that's actually a, a similar similar perspective to to what FC Pinskow, South Salfelden have. You know, they the lower league seasons here were also cancelled. They didn't come back. Of course, the uh, the stature of the two clubs is at a very different position. But where did Marseille stand going into the friendly this weekend? Have they already been in a training camp or have they had friendlies already in France to uh, to start gearing them up for the next season? Or are they kind of coming in cold at the moment?
3: So they've had a training camp, I think, in Portugal. Um, I think they're, they're back in Marseille now. I don't think they've played any friendlies yet. Obviously, um, th- there's been more focus on... on PSG and Lyons warm-ups because they're still in in kind of Champions League action from from last season or this season or however you want to call it. So um more of the sort of French press have been focusing on 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 how they've been doing in their in their um return to action. Um but certainly Marseille are a back to training, um back together. They're one thing that they've done very well during during the lockdown is um I think they've they've had a They've played a blinder PR-wise um, in terms of social media opening up their, their training centre, for example, to to um, battered wives um, in the Marseille area. Um, a lot of the Marseille um, rappers, they've got a good rap scene down there. They released a, a, a song to, to raise funds for the local health workers and the club got involved in that. So in that sense, they, they've been very active and certainly there's been a lot of photos to 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 show that they're all back in training, back back to full fitness. But um this I may be wrong, but I think this may be their first friendly.
0: Okay, so I can speculate then and say that Pinscal have a chance of <laughs> of causing a huge upset in this game. Uh, perhaps not, but uh, we're really looking forward to seeing how Pinscow stack up against former European champions Marseille.
3: Well, Lyon's first friendly was a 12-0 win and PSG's was a 9-0 win, but um, I'm hoping this one will be a little bit closer.
0: Uh, But they've got something to beat them. They've got a target that they're they're aiming for (laughs) then to to try and match their rivals. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't get to that. But one last thing that I'd like to ask is Pinscow have a a unique fan ownership model. So they're a fan-owned club Whereby uh, fans from around the world can invest in the club and get a, a taste of what it's like to to be an owner of a football club. How do you think uh, something like that would go down amongst the uh, the football lovers in France?
3: I think it would go down well. I mean, the the, the problem I'd say maybe with France is that certainly the appearances are that f- fans aren't as engaged as. As in the other leagues. I mean, that there's, you know, matchday experience is is very good. And you've got the, you know, the Tiffossis and the and the sort of the ultra groups and and that kind of thing. And certainly there's certain teams like Marseille, like Saint-Etienne, like Lens that, that have very, very loyal followings. But you know, certainly when you look at, for example, um away support, it's it's nothing like in, in certain other countries. So I think that they're it might be difficult to engage a large enough number of fans um, to have some kind of project like that, but I think that it is sort of the 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 dream or the utopia for for any clubs in any country that you know to try to take out as much as possible the the sort of cynical business side and to really ensure that everything about the club is is with the best interest of the club and the best interest of the fans involved. And you'd probably say that if it it could happen anywhere, Marseille would arguably be the the best place for it to happen because the fans are so engaged, so passionate, so kind of, there's such a a close tie between the city, the fans and the club. They're all sort of interdependent and, and almost feed off each other, you know, when one's going well, the other's going well and vice versa. It would be fascinating to see if it ever came, you know, went down that road.
0: Jeremy Smith there, the French football writer and podcaster. You can hear him on Get French Football and on French Football Weekly as well. Two brilliant channels covering French football in English. Thanks a lot for all that input. Jeremy Smith, really nice to hear from him.
1: Certainly was really informative stuff from Jeremy there. Shall we get stuck into the friendly on Sunday, the big game now and look ahead to that?
0: Yeah, if you're looking ahead to the game, it's at seven o'clock in central european summertime so uh, at seven o'clock you can stream on fcps.at the game will be live for you to watch on there. It will be live on uh, the FC Pinscow Salfelden Facebook page as well. You can comment on that one. That's a great place to get in touch with me as well in the commentary box. In fact, leave your comments on there. Let me know what you're thinking of the game. And I might even be able to ask some questions on your behalf to the players and to the coach after the game too. So I would say that's the place to watch. Facebook Live or on FCPS at 80 as well seven o'clock that's uh, a whole lot earlier in the US depending on where you are in North America it might be at uh, 11 12 or, or one o'clock on Sunday but uh,
1: yeah that's a good time to watch the game and if you do manage to get some interviews with the coaches after the game if you speak to, I'm sure you would be speaking to Christian Zieger, uh, our boss but if you do manage to speak to the Marseille coach Andre Villas-Boas can you ask him a question for me
0: of course I can Lee
1: can you ask him why, when he left his job as the manager of Shanghai SIPG in 2017, he gave up football to become a rally driver for a few years? I'd be really interested to know why that is.
0: That is an awesome career change. Imagine that, you, you leave your job in the, the Chinese Super League to just become a rally driver. That's brilliant.
1: And then casually go back to football again.
0: Yeah, a man of many talents, I guess. Yeah, very cool. Looking forward to uh, hopefully having a word with André Villes-Boas on Sunday. Can't wait. Should we wrap up the podcast here for, for today? We've uh, We've covered the two friendlies. We've covered the history of Marseille and Marseille this season as well. Now all that's left to do is to look forward to the game on Sunday. We hope you'll join us on the live stream for that one. Thanks very much for listening to the FCPS Show. Has been the FCPS show. It's recorded, produced, and edited in Vienna, Austria for FC Pinskau Saalfelden. And if you're interested to find out more about Europe's unique fan owned club model, then why don't you head on over to wefunder.com forward slash fan.owned.club and find out everything that you need to know about this incredible opportunity to become a part owner of a European soccer club.